listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harding, and today we're taking a deeper dive talking about your tri-type and your giftings. We're going to be talking about your personal narrative, what journey you're on, and how your Enneagram type is so specifically honed to help you get there, and how knowing your tri-type, your top three types in each of the head, heart, and gut centers can really help you to understand yourself better. I'm so grateful for those of you who have told me you've been enjoying the podcast. It's been such a highlight and I have heard before, but this week I felt like I got more encouragement. So I was like, yay, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your listenership. And I'd love for you to leave a review at Apple Podcast. Every podcast review itself leads more people to find it. So let's bring marriage, health, and healing to others at Apple Podcast reviews right where you listen to your podcasts if you're an Apple person. So I also want to let you know that we are so thankful to be able to have the wonderful work of Catherine Fauver for the tri-type conversation. So if you are looking for more information about her, her last name is spelled F-A-U-V-R-E, and you can check her site out. She's a master of the tri-type conversation. So I want you to make sure you have a great place to go and a great resource. I'm also going to give you a really cool test I took of hers, different from the one I usually share, which is the true self test. And I still love that test, but I have another one that I found as I was digging around for more tri-type information from her and I'm really excited to share that one with you too at the end. So today we're talking about your story, your journey, your narrative with your tri-type and I'll be sharing some of mine too because I can't fill in yours. But what I can tell you is that my initial confrontation with my own journey with tri-typing was pretty abrasive and I know we all and I've been hearing lately even on IG that people are saying I don't like the aggressive word. I like assertive and I do too. I like assertive better but I have to admit my first encounter with tri-type was actually a little bit aggressive because I heard about it in an Enneagram group online. And I remember telling Wes, hey, there's this theory called tri-type and it's really getting in my way because I really want to be able to focus on my type. And now I'm hearing that there's all these different combinations and that there's really three types and then each of those has their health and stress arrow and each of those has their own determination to really be in the center and I just didn't understand it and I just didn't get it. I was upset because I felt like everybody was trying to distract people from their own growth when they talked about tri-type. And what I really didn't realize is just like people like Myers-Briggs because there's four different factors Tri-type tries to help people to understand more than one player in the game, even when you finally fine-tune your type and your health and stress arrows. And I really found that out when I got to working on my seven and I was like, okay, I really looked at this, but now I'm starting to feel like I don't describe myself with the memes out there that this is too limiting. It's not exactly who I am. There's some elements of truth. Sometimes I'm sure you felt this way with your type where you're like, that's me, but that's not me at all, actually. And so that really helped me to find freedom in the tri-type. And you might have said, well, geez, you weren't even acting like a seven because you would love your freedom. But I was trying to be that observer five of myself and say, hey, I want to go deep. I want to really investigate this one angle and I keep getting distracted. So I was just telling 
telling that to Wes. And then when I later realized, A, I hit my walls in my growth. And sometimes that happens where you're like, oh, I keep rubbing up against myself. I need something else to focus on and I'm going to be scattered. And surely that's why I was first complaining about tri-type. But then secondly, like I said, I started to realize I don't fit all those boxes and there are more angles to me. So I started to realize there are places to grow, not just to run away in the other types as well. And then I began to get more excited about tri-type because I realized even sometimes with my clients and our work together, we were running up against them and their types too and saying, okay, this is great. We've learned this about you, but what's the next step? So I think if you're ready for the next step, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about making sure you understand each of your intelligence centers a little bit so you know that the tri-type is going to be a reflection of you and each of the intelligence centers. And then we're going to talk about what a tri-type can look like in your own story. And then I'm going to ask you some questions at the end to help you to start with what is your tri-type. And then lastly, like I said, I'm going to make sure I send you off with the new test, which I think will get you even a lot closer. So basically, I want to start you out with the intelligence centers so that you can almost look at the Enneagram as a laid out map. Remember, there's a circle with nine types around it. And I know you know those basic nine types. You can also go to my very first episodes if you want to from season one to really just get a brief, nice review of each type. So why would we talk about the centers of intelligence and all of that when you probably know it and you're like, yeah, head, heart, gut. The reason is because this is exactly what myself and my clients were running into is we're not just a head type or a heart type or a gut type. We have a relationship to our bodies, our hearts, and our minds, all of us. So when I go through each of these centers and I tell you the three types in each, I want you to think about which one you relate to the most. And then I'll tell you a little bit about how I discovered mine. So basically the gut center is the eights, nines, and ones, and they feel like they lacked space to be or just to exist. And so sometimes they deal with self-forgetting, anger, moving, they're aggressive, they're very instinctual. They have a need for acceptance and a fear of neglect. Now we're moving on to the specifics within that group that the eights, of course, move a little bit more aggressively toward others to solve problems. The nines go a little bit more towards comfort to solve problems and want to make sure they're heard, but they still also do move into comfort. And then the one for safety will try to be right and to try to make sure that they are seeking justice in order to get their autonomy. So moving on to the head types, we have people that are fives, sixes, and sevens, and they deal with paranoid, fear, thinking, withdrawing. They're intellectual. They're self-preserving in many ways because they fear chaos and their head types, and they lack trustworthy guidance in their lives and have a need for reassurance. So the fives like to go within They like to be competent with information and knowledge. The sixes like their safety. They like to find loyal bonds. And the sevens like to be upbeat and positive, fearing that going to emotional pain will overtake them. Moving on to the heart triad, we have those that are twos, threes, and fours. And we have the feelings people who emote, who think in terms of hate and love, who are compliant, who are heartfelt, the fears of being ignored. They lacked accurate mirroring and they need affirmation. So those are some of the most basic ways that they move through the world in their heart intelligence center first. And each of us is going to have one of these centers that's primary and we'll say, oh, I'm definitely first head, heart or gut. But what I want to tell you briefly is that twos will want to be loved and want to be given to just because they're such givers. And the three is looking for their identity to come through achievements and mirroring others, winning and showing 
finding good faith at work and truth telling. And then the four will try to find their love by trying to make sure that they are compassionate, unique by being somebody who will fight for the underdog in terms of just listening and sitting with them and caring about them, even if nobody else does and understanding differences. Very passionate group there in the heart center. So all of us have access to the heart. All of us have access to the gut and all of us have access to the head. But when I read through those, you probably said, oh, that one's me more than the others. So thinking about it is what I would do. Some of you would feel it. Some of you would into it from your body. But either way, there's three at least different places that you really connected with when I read those nine. And even if you didn't, like I said at the end, I'm going to give you the test so that you can really even look further if you want to. You don't have to feel like I have to do all my work in a specific three areas of the Enneagram. Our best is when we're trying to be the best of all the types. But it really helps not only to know this, but also to know your subtype because if you're social, if you're self-preserving, or if you are sexual, you're going to have an even deeper relationship to other people in that particular area. And we can even say if we did even deeper Enneagram work, then we could say, oh, somebody who is a sexual two is a double heart type because they are not only a two, but a sexual two. So they're highly relational or four. Maybe if they're a self-preserving four, they're caring about others in a way that is more social justice and they're more about denying their own needs, but a sexual heart for who is who is also, like I said, that double for is going to say, I don't care what's socially right. I have to have this relationship above all. And I talked about Romeo and Juliet last week, and now we're reading Jane Eyre. She has a heart place too, but it's set in the moors. It's set in a place where, yes, a four could find their comfort because a four could be like, my heart is set in the moors also. And I understand the dark Gothic imagery, but Jane Eyre was able to say to her love, honestly, I really can live without you. Because I get it, the life is also about self-respecting. And of course, the Bronte sisters, especially the eldest sister, Charlotte, who wrote Jane Eyre, really had a multiple agenda with her book because she was trying to show romance, but she was even writing under a male pseudonym. So she was dealing with women's rights issues. And she was kind of tired of the Jane Austen books that I love so much that really show this happy ending. And she was saying, hey, you know, honestly, life is not so easy and simple as finding your Mr. Darcy or your Mr. Knightley. And it's more about finding beauty in the painful places and in the secret corners. And so those are fours who really are, you know, like I said, very four-like, but you can see that it's different from an impassioned Romeo who has to have his love or he will die. So I think that's totally the difference. And you need to understand that finding your subtype may seem like I felt or finding your tri-type may feel like I felt like, what is the point? This is too deep and it's taking me away from the basic work I'm doing. And if that's where you are, I want you to stop and just go back to your basic work because that's okay. That's where I was when I first encountered the Enneagram a few years ago. And until I got really familiar with it, it really was not a safe place for me to go to because I was it was pointless. It was a very big distraction and like my seven kind of going off into the corners of the world like this you have no place here. Like you're not even familiar with your seven yet. Kind of reminds me of The Wizard of Oz when Glenda's like 
be gone. You have no power here. It's like, that's exactly where you are when you're like, I'm trying to figure out my tri-type and my subtype, but you're like, wait, what's my Enneagram type? So you have to just find your power where it actually is, which is maybe minimal if you're like, I'm really new at self-discovery and I want to have power, but right now I don't know what I like. I don't know who I am and I'm at the very beginning. So it's okay to be at the very beginning. Just admit it and then move forward a little bit more cautiously and slowly. So talking about your journey and your tri-type is exciting because it really offers you the ability, like I said, to start the journey wherever you're most comfortable, but then we're going to have a chance to do this deeper dive that we're doing today and to talk about how you can be specifically honed in your gift once you realize your specific tri-type. So why do we need a tri-type? It's because after you get from that rebellious or perhaps like me aggressive place of, I don't think I need it. I'm still growing in my regular type. Then you realize I do because I want those accesses to the lines of the body and also to the mind and also to the heart. And some of us like me, I don't naturally go to the heart line. So as you heard, it was quite a journey to get me there, but I do get there eventually. And I do have access to my heart. And even as a little kid, I was able to connect with my mom with my heart. So it doesn't mean that you never had a heart if you're a seven and you only go to one and five. And it doesn't mean you don't think for yourself if you're a two and you only have a line to one and four. This is where tri-type really helps. It also really helps for those of you who are really stuck saying, wait a second, I just don't feel comfortable with labeling myself as one thing because I just feel so unsure. Whereas I heard Catherine Favre say she's an eight and she always knew she was an eight right from the beginning. She knew she couldn't be a one or a nine, but she said many people who are sixes think they're other types and they're sixes, but they may be a six one four because they have some feelings and some love of depth and beauty and art and also some really important ways that they like to be organized and orderly and justice oriented like a one. But there can be some murkiness between a one and a six. So therefore she was able to say, well, that person has a one and that's their body center and then we have them at their thinking. They're most like a six. And then they're also more like a four in their heart center. So it really gives you room to move. It helps you to understand your weak points at those places, as well as your areas for growth for those particular places. And then if you're, for instance, a one, three, five, well, you're so clinical and you're going to be a hardworking achiever. You're going to be justice oriented, but you're going to love that methodology and order like all those three types tend to like. So you're going to really say, okay, unless I have a subtype to balance me out here, this is something I'm going to have to watch for is that I can be overly clinical sometimes in my world. So sometimes you're able to look at the big tri-type and say, okay, this could get me in a lot of trouble. This could also take me really far if I know this about myself and I use it to the best of my abilities. And I talked about how with my 947, I really want you to understand that I could, like I said, use it for bad and just be in sloth and be in that place of, okay, I want to have fun. I don't want to do other things. And I don't, there's not much movement in there. It's like the four withdrawals, the nine withdrawals and likes to go into sloth. The seven wants to live in their imagination and research and wants to be joyful and happy and do experiences. And those experiences help you to move. But what I really had to realize is I need that one space. And I'm grateful that I have a one spouse because those things get me moving when he's around. And it gets me moving when I see myself in that space. And I say, well, your main type is a seven and you know you need your one to get you moving today and to get you organized today. 
and to get your kids. And I have such high standards. And by the time I got to college, I was getting all A's. So it really helped to pump me up and say, not only do I care about just getting up and doing something, I want to do it really well. I like editing. I don't like editing to the point of a one where they're like, this is the flight of angels wings when I finally get to edit. And that's all I want to do. I'm a seven. I want to keep going. I'm like, I edited. Now what's next? But I also want to rest as a nine. I also want to go and be with people in their heart space, even if it's not as easy for me, even if it's work for me and has been, and I'm a little more skeptical of that work in my own life because of some of my hurts, I know ultimately there are safe people and places to do my work. And I love being a safe place and person for others to do theirs. So you can see how, gosh, well, this is great that Krista can find the good of her tri-type versus just the negative. And that's what I want you to do too. And I'm so excited. I'm going to ask you this week about your tri-type on Instagram, and I'm going to see where it's leading you because I hope to hear like, wow, this is awesome. I'd love to read some of your stories if any of you take time to write your whole story out because I just want you to be able to use all three of your centers. And I really want you to make sure that you have these options to move in different directions. You're already using your main type and your health and stress arrows if you're listening this long into the episode. So let's make sure you get a chance to use these other arrows as well and wings and just give yourself lift off to where by the end of your journey on your road to health and recovery, you are thriving because you're like, oh, I know how to move. I know how to become passionate. I know how to get it done. I know how to achieve. And when I find myself unbalanced, I can lean into a different direction that feels very safe and authentic to me. And it's my route. And I always take this route. And I think that's where I want to end on my tri-types point with you is this is the route I will generally take. That's what your tri-type means. It is the route that you'll generally take. So if I'm a seven, the route I'm generally going to take is I'm going to first try to use my vivaciousness, my energy, and my joy to make people happy in the world and to find joy. And I'm going to research because that's what a seven does at the best. And I'm going to use my one to get organization and order. But sometimes those things aren't enough, frankly. And I'm going to use my four at that point to try to feel what's going on underneath. I'm going to do my grief work bit by bit because I've seen it overtake people when they did their grief work bit by bit. And like a four who's in health, I'm going to do my body work. And that's something my mom didn't have much access to as a very tired housewife on meds. And that was really hard for her. She missed out on a lot of body work. So I'm the next gen. I want to be able to have body work if possible. And I want to be able to be compassionate to others because that's a gift she gave me. I'm quite sure she had a four or a two in her tri-type. And then I also want to be like the nine who says, I want to bring peace to the couples I work with. If this doesn't work, me just being able to process and do emotional work with them and do the family systems work with them in my five and seven places and problem solve, I want to help bring peace through a safe place just to give them a safe place to do their journey and my kids a safe home to do their journey because that was my favorite thing about my mom was her comforting touch and we used to roll over her belly because it was big by the time she had me and I'd be like are there babies in there and she's like no but I would imagine because she had two miscarriages before she had her four kids so I remember being like I wonder if those babies are angels or if they're still in there somehow because there's a big chubby tummy and she'd laugh like no that's just because I'm slower now and older and tired but it was the coziest bowl full of jelly to roll over and do 
somersaults over and she totally led us all the time. And she'd pull us up in for journaling at nighttime before bed, before our eight dad would be like, everyone out, this is my den. It's time for me to lay down. And we knew his word was law, but we knew there was just a sense of healthy mom and dad time coming their way. So we left with reluctance, but I want to be that to my kids. And I want to be that safe place to my clients, not just a frenetic seven or a five who is totally cerebral or a four who can't stop being in victim mode. I want to be a nine who says, let's chill and let's make sure that we also get our body work like that for and have that fun like our seven. And and there's just so many points that I'm trying to access. And we didn't even talk about the wings there, the six or the eight. And as you think about your story, gosh, there are a lot of places you can move to, to bring joy to the world, to bring good things to the world and to yourself. So once you realize, wow, I am a six, eight, three, and I'm somebody who is going to really work well on the team because of that six, and I'm going to be achievement oriented. And if I have others working with me, or if I just myself and my tri-type am working, I'm going to use that eight power and I'm going to forge ahead. And there's just different ways that a three, six, eight would move and grow with their team than even a three, seven, eight who may say, I love achieving also, and I also have power, but I also have this need for freedom. So I'm going to be doing this on my own, or I'm going to be doing this in a way where my others are just kind of, we each benefit each other in different ways, but we don't need to lean as hard on each other. And then that even changes a little bit more nuanced when you get into your subtype. So what's important is that you look at your story and that you write it down or you think it through really carefully. I've worked with so many people over the years that are very specifically either lifelong journalers or absolutely loathe journaling. So I don't mind which way you do this, but I do want you to take some time to do your story and your journey. And that's where I'm going to share some of mine this week. I have a birthday this week and it's a good week for me to reflect on my story. I don't have my parents anymore. So I usually take time to think about them a lot and to thank God for their influences in my life. And I reflect on my childhood and I think about the ways that my journey has changed me. And I've had to do this at different seasons in my life too, because when I was at Wheaton College getting my master's degree, Fran White, who had been the program founder years before I got there, had taught my professors and she had taught them that you have to go backwards in order to go forwards. And if you don't look at yourself and your past and find out where you've been, you're never going to be able to really see where you are now. And I just had to do that. It was not comfortable, but it was exactly what I needed. So I want you to know it might not be comfortable, but it's exactly what you need sometimes. And in God's timing and strength, there are absolutely times when it's not time to do that. But I love the way this old African proverb ties it up. I saw this when I was on vacation with my family this summer at the Keys. I think you say it as Sankofa, go back and catch it, return to the source and remember who we are. So that reminds me of Fran White and her hope. And when she was going to Wheaton, she didn't have a place for doing this. And she had to call carve it out because at that time, psychology and mental health was not seen as a viable ministry in the church. And I'm so passionate about that because of my mom's mental health and how it changed my life, which we'll talk about a tiny bit today, but more or less, I have an entire episode this season on the church and mental health and all that we've done and seen and how we're growing and what we can do today to really honor people's mental health journeys and stories. So you have to honor your story. You have to know where you've been. And when you look back, you'll find that you get to the place where you can discover your tri-type more and your giftings. So 
like I said, I'll give you some Q&A to do that specifically in a bit. But my own journey as a 749 tri-type made even more sense to me when this past week I was going through some papers of my parents. They had so many, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, that I have to take it in small bits, especially as a seven. And I took some time to sit down and I looked over these papers and I found the other portion of this ripped paper I had found of my mom's. And she was talking about my birth and I have the whole thing written. It's pretty intense, but she was really upset because a lot of her high church East Coast family were telling her that she shouldn't have a fourth child and she was already pregnant. And her other family was telling her that as well and saying, this is too much on your family, your teacher's family. And why are you guys having another child? And I'm realizing that my parents didn't have many resources. I already knew that, but it's helping me to understand when I'm reading this, why I identify as a seven is partly not just because yes, she has in my baby book that I had a joyful, kind heart, but because partly there just wasn't much attention that could be placed on me. And these people, I'm not even trying to judge them. It was a little shocking to read because she was just writing like, so what if we want to be poor? So what if we may have to share clothes? We're feeding ourselves. We're eating. We have love to give. And if our relatives don't understand that too bad. And uh, it was, wow, it was really intense because I had seen the first half of the letter and then I just reached into the bottom of this envelope and there was the other half. So I put, I had typed out the first half and so I typed out the second half and it became a very powerful message to me of how hard my birth had been fought for and by both of my parents and against their own parents' will. And so it was really kind of shocking to read the full story. I had heard bits and pieces, seen bits and pieces. And now for whatever reason, right before my birthday, the Lord chose to show me this story. And it really helped me to see gosh, she had me against having any resources. So one of the first things we can do when we think about the way our parents injure us is we can say, I'm here. And that's something that's a miracle in and of itself. And that's what I chose to do as well as chose to really have a deeper level of respect for my mom and dad for choosing to have me um, and really trying to even process philosophically in the, the message or the journal article that she was writing to herself was you know, this kind of just taking a look at her life and saying, maybe this isn't an accident. We always wanted a fourth child. And I'm just so tired of the world telling me how I can conduct my life. And so it was a chance for me to see how she's like, I'm already weary and I'm already tired. I've already gone through mental health struggles, but this is my choice and we want to have this baby. And I think that it really helped me to see how she was more hands-off and tired a lot in her nine place and how my dad was on edge in his eight space of we're fighting the world just to have a flipping family. And I know that because he acted like that a lot. So I knew that part of it. But what was really intriguing was to just see it laid out and then to go, oh, you're a seven, partly because you had to take care of yourself because they were just trying to fight off some of their family influence and some of their own unhealth. And so they had to do their work while I was doing mine. And I'm so grateful that they gave me the opportunity to do my work, even if they weren't able to be as hands-on with me and I had to kind of forge my own way. I did understand there was these strange dynamics from my mom's East Coast family who would tell me I had to change before dinner and wondering why she ran away from them and just not fully being able to piece together why my parents had me if they couldn't fully take care of me in feeling older and stressed. Maybe you'll look in your parents' memory banks and ask them, tell me about what it was like in the culture when you were having me. Where were 
were you guys in your marriage? It's so fascinating to see who took care of us and what was happening. I've shared about how my grandma took care of me and my great aunt and my teta, great great aunt who was 99. And so it really helps to hear how did you start out? But it is really deep stuff, right? Just to see that like, whoa, grandparents didn't want me to be born. I mean, I had to take a pause, but I was able to say, you know what? My grandparents loved me and I had some amazing times with them and we have a lot of cherished memories. And I get it that they were feeling so stressed and strained for my parents. Like you guys already have this passionate Wuthering Heights romance. The Brontes, it's fun, but please guys, let's be practical. Let's be real. Nancy's already suffered mental health issues. You're both tired. You're older. So there was the sense of strain already in their lives. And it doesn't mean you weren't loved. I think that that was really the message that we can take is if we're here, we were wanted. God wanted us to be born. Even if there was moments when our parents said this is too much and they acted out in their personality type dysfunctions or places of stress. These are moments when we really have to say, and I'm so thankful for that letter now to see how hard my parents fought for me. Um, And also pretty glad that my mom moved from the East Coast, just saying, but (laughs) nothing against you East Coast folks, but I'm just saying I'm glad that she left that particular family system who had many, many denials of her mental health issues. And I'm glad that she found somebody who understood her and wanted to have a big family with her because even though she was the valedictorian of her high school and she was very brilliant. She just wanted to be a wife and mom more than anything. And so she went through the tired seasons. And believe me, like I mentioned last week, there are moments in middle marriage. I read there one of her, um, you know, moments about how she's like, oh, like, wow, like having a strong mind and being a stay at home mom are really not two things that go well together. And so I think it was really important for her to process her stuff and me to process mine through this lens of what is my journey? What is my past? And seek out as much as you can your past journey so that you You can go back and see where you've come from like that African proverb and like Fran White. So you can say, when did my journey begin? And sure, it started there, but it also started as a seven with my dad saying, you did great in the playpen, Krista. Why are you raising your kids where you're not putting them just in the playpen? And I'm like, dad, like, okay, you raised me in a playpen. And like, I know it was really tough, but like I had to kind of forge my own path. So that's how I knew my seven was my strongest. I always wanted that security. And I really had to look and see having people who were hands off and tired and older really helped me to have to form creative ways to find my own security. And another place that that happened was in school, it wasn't always cool to be smart. So I also had been shy for a while. And so as I've mentioned before, it really didn't help when I would read a lot of books and the teacher might say, this is ridiculous. You're reading faster than I am. And that's not even possible. And then I would kind of dumb it down like, okay, And I had done well on a standardized test in high school. And I remember my best friend who was um, a fun person and a good friend. And he was the valedictorian of our class. So everything came so easy to him. And he was like, you know what? Why did you score well on your ACT? You're not smart. And I remember for a second I was hurt. And then in another moment, I just laughed. And I was like, I know, isn't that so funny? But really, my dad had locked me in the room the night before the ACT. And he had gone into an eight tirade and said, you're not going out with your friends. You are going to study for this test. And of course, being a seven and hating that, I turned on my radio 
radio and memorized the entire lyrics to that song Hook by Blues Traveler. Remember when that was super popular for those of you who are in my era? And I did that as well as studied for the ACT. So I enjoy singing that now and remembering that. But I'm also so grateful. My dad locked me in my bedroom dramatically and said, you will study for this test because I care about your future. So even though he was this older, tired man, you have to give him credit that as much as I had to forge my own path and realize it's not always going to be fun to be smart. So I have to be fun, this funny person. He cared enough about me to fight for me. And so did my husband who was in that same math class. I can still remember as a seven, my teachers wanted to let me out of class a lot. There was a lot of elections and student government positions and just homecoming court and things like that, that I was busy with. And my husband was like that too. We were already dating. I think this was junior year. Actually, we just started dating. And that same person, he and I were talking and joking during algebra two trigonometry. And my husband looked over during the middle of class and he's like, Hey, why are you distracting her? She needs to learn. And I didn't even have an ownership over my own learning in those years. And I was so embarrassed. And My friend's like, she can talk for herself, but what was really interesting is I wasn't ready to talk for myself, and that's too bad. I wish I had been, but you know, growing up in a town where education wasn't always valued, I had been allowing myself to kind of dumb down. So I really appreciate it looking back now at my dad and my husband both saying she has value and she deserves to learn, and maybe it comes easy for you, and no blame against the other person, but I can still remember that math teacher saying Massey, because that's, you know, my last name was Massey, and he called me Massey like most people did, and he said, Massey, when are you ever going to be in class? You know, are you ever going to give yourself a chance to learn? And there was always this charm that I could just say, oh, I have to do this. You know, the student government teacher needs me. So there was a sense of I wanted it in a way, but there was too many things pulling me away and partying and fun things like that. It took people that were serious like my dad and husband who were in a lot of ways safe. And yes, they had their annoyances, but I was like, you know what? They actually are making sense because here on my own, I was hiding any intellectualism that I had. And I even remember drinking alcohol sometimes with friends and then going home and reading Raisin in the Sun and reading Gone with the Wind at night just because I needed something classic. I needed something intellectual. And of course, being a seven, I wanted to like go on forever and never have to sleep, etc. But it's something that I take with me now reflecting on the past. How did you form yourself as a seven? And it's like, well, these things, there wasn't really that much affirmation for being intelligent. There were thankfully a few people like those two. And then some teachers in college who would read my papers out loud and say, she's a gifted writer, um, put something into this. And by then I was a grounded young woman and I wanted to do that. And then I became a great student. So don't think that just because you're a seven, you have to write yourself off as a clown. People may put you in that box sometimes, and sometimes it may be you. And you will be jaded and skeptical. And there is a part of us that's a five. I remember my teacher, uh, I thought that I was really well-liked for my student council and just my class officership and whatever else, the different accolades you rack up in high school. And I remember as we graduated the last day of school, he gave me a hug and he said, I always liked you. It was a whisper. It was a secret moment and it was not healthy. And I didn't really process it at that time. You know, I just was shocked because I had thought, no way. Like we went out to lunch in the group and I thought that we were special. I thought it was because we were gifted people, me and my friends who were scholars and who you said we won the writing contest because we were in the voice of democracy and, you know, you let us ride in your car and you took us around and you made us feel like we were somebody. And then at the end of the day, you whisper in my ear that you really liked me and thought I was pretty. 
And it really hurt because of that. But I blocked it right out and went onward as a seven because I was used to doing that. It was like, okay, you know what? You can't trust people. And so you can really sense my self-preservation starting to really lean out a little bit more like there's your dad who you can trust. There's your husband, but even they have their issues. So there just was that sense of like, you're going to have to write your own ticket here, lady, because these people, you know, and that's people were all fallen, we're all broken. So next, you know, that makes sense where I'm in my field where I try to help people to have their self-preservation and their self-care. And most of the people who come to me aren't good at that. And we get to checking real quick if they are good at that. Like me, we're like, okay, you need to move in the other direction. Like we can be over the top here. There are people who are trustworthy and safe and you can find those people. So God really helped me to find those people in my life so that I hopefully will never go back to being overly self-preserving. But as you think about your story, this is what I want you to do is kind of say, who are the people that stood up for me? And maybe they showed my art or read my paper. And then who are the ones that made me feel like I needed to be my flirtatious or fun or serious or wallflower personality type? Because that was the only way they could really understand life themselves. And so the next part of me is my four part of me. And I really think that you're probably surprised that I even have any semblance of heart after just feeling jaded. But I did have, like I said, a lot of good influences in there. And some of them female teachers who said, I see your literary side and I'm going to bring that out. Or a professor who who said, I see your gift in therapy. And so these things helped a lot to go against the grain. And my work at Wheaton helped a lot too. And by the time, like I said, I got in college, I realized here's some of the foibles of men and women have different foibles, but I was like, this is my blooming years. And every young woman who's in health, there's no bragging here. Every young woman in health, I didn't realize this when I was this age, is stunning. And you know, yes, older women can be stunning too. But like, now that I look back and I'm like, oh, we're so hard on ourselves as teens. Like all these girls thought they were heavy set and they were stunning. They were plump. They were beautiful. They were soft. They were roses. And so I think every young woman has to say no a lot in her life. And it just, you know, it did help for me to know that, to finally get to that place where I said, oh, I do have the ability to be serious or intellectual, even though this is my fallback zone, I know I can rise above it. And so then my four started to take shape and to be another safe place for me. And I was able to recover my heart a little bit more once I did that and protect myself from places I shouldn't be. I remember interviewing for a family systems therapy job and I maybe nailed the interview because on the spot was four men who were kind of intimidating to me. They said, you are a family systems person. You've already told us this is your proclivity. We think you'll be the best intern. And I just remember thinking, I'm not going to feel like there's something wrong here. And I wanted to achieve it to make sure that, you know, I gave it a try in case it was meant to be, but it was like, no, this just doesn't feel safe or right with my history. So I ended up going to the place I knew was meant to be for me, Evangelical Child and Family Agency. And they had a multifaceted level of care, pregnancy support services, foster care and adoption, counseling, and it was just the right fit. So I'm so glad because that led me onto my journey in so many creative ways. But if I would have done the other place, I probably would have been more in my seven and less allowable to go into my heart place. And then my last in my tri-type is my nine, a place of peace, because I would have been on edge. I would have been worried. Are these men able to get past? They're looking at a young girl in blossom. Can they get past that? That is that even too much to ask? 
ask for any man to be trying to do an internship with young women who are healthy. So I had to kind of do some of my own work and say that to myself as I was seeking out my way to my heart. And then my professor did what I'm asking you guys to do to write out and to think out my story. And that was extremely painful because of all the walls and layers that somebody in the thought triad does. And I remember having to share our stories in class. Everyone had to do this story and I called mine grief, growth, and grace. And I had to share what was the most painful thing you've ever been through. And we uncovered a lot of shame in that process of our stories and our journey. So we all entered into our own heart work before we were asking our clients to enter into their heart work. And I remember sharing about my mom's diagnosis of schizophrenia and how I didn't know that she had that diagnosis as a baby and as a little kid. And then when my siblings told me the shame I felt and the bullying and the shame I still felt, even after I'd been a competent magna cum laude student in college, and now I'm in grad school and I'm at this place heralding themselves as the Harvard of Christian schools and my worthless feelings erupted right there and and also my cover was blown because I was like, oh, this is my story and my journey and some of my friends cried with me when they heard my journey and I was like, I don't understand your tears. I you, You're hugging me, but you're not sexually hugging me like the boys in my high school and you're asking me to learn and to grow in a safe place. And at Wheaton, it is called the Wheaton bubble when you grow that way. So it really helped me to identify and to recover my heart and to really kind of sit there and say, I've been through a lot and I'm okay. And I remember there was this Antoine Fisher line that said, who will cry for the little boy? He cried himself to sleep. Who will cry for the little boy who never had it for keeps? And it goes on. And Antoine Fisher himself said, who will cry for that little boy? And Antoine Fisher said, I will. I always do. So this is where I learned that permission to be doing that inner child work. And it wasn't called that. I probably would have laughed if it had been called that at that season. But it was just people staring me in the face and saying, you've had some really difficult things happen and you're still here. And you have an incredible story to talk about now between the bullying and the mental health at your church and just different places. You have a place to grow and you are worthy to do that growing. And I think that was the biggest message for anyone who can relate to heart triad work. You really have to realize who am I? What is my image? Is it okay? Is my image too cracked, too broken to do work? And when you're at a place like that and you're all doing the work together with a guided facilitator, wow, was that powerful to read my story, to talk about my shame and my inadequacy feelings and to have a whole group of therapists, like 30 therapists in my cohort saying, oh, we love you and we care about you still. So even if you don't have that, maybe you have a small group at church where you can say, let's each share a painful story or amidst your family that's safe or your safest friends, you and your best friend to just say, let's take some time to do this together or in your journal. And that's something sometimes I have clients do is just uncovering those layers because I was so gifted with it. And I was able to see how big and beautiful God was in the midst of my story that was at times really difficult. So lastly, I want to share that my, um, and my nine, my four brother really helped me with that as my four daughter does. My four daughter, one of her famous lines is, why are you crying to her family? She always asks us, why are you crying and what's wrong? And she can feel it inside and intuit it because she's a heart person and she loves deeply. And so that helps me to feel safe continually, even when my husband and I get into practical mode or I go back into seven or five 
five mode. And then my brother is a four. So he's really somebody who values relationship over everything. And he's just like, I want to see that you are the person of your word. I want to see that you're a deep person still. I don't want you to run to that seven place too hard or too big. And so we have to take breaks from each other sometimes because he frankly overwhelms me at times because I also have that nine part of me that I'm going to briefly share. And that is a part of me that wants to withdraw and wants to just be at peace and doesn't want to go there all the time. And as an intimate four, that's the double four that we were talking about. He wants to do that a lot. And he said to me, even hearing some of my favorite songs, he said, you're not the same. This isn't you. Who are you? And sometimes I'm like, well, I really do like this music and I really do have a place for this song. And maybe it's even a four song, but it's not his type of song. So I have to really stand in sometimes with my four and say, you know, we don't really get each other fully, do we? But I know it's out of love that just as my husband wanted me to have the space and my dad to be competent and not just stuck in seven in other ways because they wanted to see me thrive and grow intellectually, my brother wanted me and still wants me and my daughter want me to be authentic. So they helped me to balance that. And having a lot of fours in my life, that's a message I get again and again. So not only did I get it at Wheaton, but I get it still and it gives me balance. So maybe you can think about the people in your life who really have laid the path for you to have your heart access. Even if you're like, I don't know if I'm a two, three or four. And I don't think that quite matters as much as that you have access to healthy behaving and feeling and healthy thinking in each of these centers. So that's okay if we can't get too specific. And then lastly, analyzing my nine space was my mom had a lot of nine qualities. And as much as she didn't like working out and didn't want to face, wasn't able to face her mental health issues, wasn't seen, wasn't heard, was denied any mental health care by her relatives who said, you know, you're going to need to cover this with vitamins because we don't do that. And she really needed care. She had really deep anxiety as a lot of nines do sometimes. And they need body work. And sometimes they need something beyond that. Maybe they need melatonin to sleep, whatever it is. Maybe they need meds. That's not a big deal. It's great that we have the elements of chemistry to help ourselves and that they're getting better and better every day. Obviously, if you can do natural things, that's always the best. But but anyway, her journey wasn't really honored in that way. So she did find her ways. She did have to take medication that made her tired. But she was able to, by the time I knew her, raised me really well and just would say, let me rest and sleep because my medication's hitting me hard. So whether she was actually a nine or just layered as a nine, because of meds, I don't know. But it was a very peaceful way of being with her. And she was able to really draw me out to that nine space. And often we read Berenstein Bears books together countless times, countless. And my kids do the same now with me and even still in their beds without me. It's just been this journey of Berenstein Bear books. And we read the beginning poem with together and I do the same with my kids. And it's just our books are tattered and I've replaced them several times, but it's just hilarious. So we have some of those old books from her and I in our times of just laying on the bed reading Little House on the Prairie books. You know, Oliver Twist was the last book she wanted me to read with her as a middle schooler. And I was like, I'm out. But by then the seven was sadly taking over. But these were my special places of not trying to grow too old too quickly. And I'm glad I hung on as long as I did because then I obviously ran off. But it was really a special place to grow up with her, to be just hidden under her wing and in a safe, very comfortable place. And those of you who have a nine person in your life, it's easy to exude that to your kids. I think it's been pretty easy for me to give that to my kids. Yes, I get squirrely in seven mode sometimes, but overall, there's just such an identity that develops from my own mom giving me that. And yes, I had an eight dad and once in a while that eight pops out in me, but this is the place that I felt safe because this was my mommy. And she was really not erratic or strange at the time I knew her. She was 
healthy. And she did later have a stroke and I got to see some of that play out in the unraveling and it was really hard. But when she raised me, I was able to see, oh my gosh, like she's a great mom and she's a safe place. And when I would go to my Croatian grandma's house who had been through the depression, she knew how to rest. And we talked about Fiaka and, and her relatives and her knew how to do just, you know, sitting down and crocheting and just Lots of doilies with the toilet paper underneath and the doll on top. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but lots of that, lots of walking, lots of exercise, lots of fitness. And that's part of where I got my love for fitness and exercise as a seven and things. But but she did not understand laying on the bed and resting. And that's something that she really rubbed against me with my mom when I would she would see me coming over and staying for weeks at a time in the summer. And she'd say, what are you doing? And I'd say, I'm just resting and reading my Sweet Valley Twins and Babysitter's Club and all my books. And she'd say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like you have to get up and dust my piano in my living room. And, you know, there was just a sense of this is not okay. And there was a very strong sense of gratitude for having gone through the depression and not wasting and making sure to make, to use the most of each day. But I've always had a nine spot in my life reserved for just sitting and laying around and reading and resting. And my eight dad was really good about going to his five space too. So there was just a lot of time around the fireplace. A lot of the time, my parents disappeared into their bedroom and just had their own intimate times while we kids walked around the house, sometimes bored and sometimes fending for ourselves or watching a lot of MTV, etc. But we really all just enjoyed that after the long, hard days of work, we would rest. And so a lot of people aren't like that. And our house was messier as a result. And my house still is messier as a result. But I have decided that the one wing is helpful to get me out of trouble and to make sure that I can plan and prepare and organize in my six. My spaces at one and six help me to prepare and plan and organize and make sure that I don't fall off the wagon with that nine and four and seven. You can imagine that can be pretty intense and difficult to not have an exact one or six. So I do need that six wing a lot to prepare. And I do feel happy that when I get stressed, I go to one because it really does move me. And I've learned not to be as critical there of myself and others, but just to move, just get up out of your nine space, get up out of your four processing the past and get up out of your seven laughter to do your work. So these are the places and spaces that I go to the most to help you find your tri-type. I want you first to review the types. I want you to go to my old podcast or one of the Enneagram Institute um, or Enneagram Explained places. Just, you know, there's a million places now to tell us about all the nine types. That's so great. So just go review those. And then I want you to lay out the stories of your life and label them like I did. Think when was my heart journey? When was my body journey when I learned to rest? Or maybe when I learned to take action? When was my thinking journey? How did that develop? What's my subtype? And I want you to think about the journey. Like how did you find each of those centers redeemed? And if they haven't yet been redeemed, then I want you to plan on doing your work, whether it's that you start with your early just Enneagram number, your first type alone, or whether you're like me, that you're at the place in space where you're really walking through the whole journey. I want you to do that work. I want you to find the redemption. Like I said, there's going to be grief, there's going to be growth, and there's going to be grace. And I want you to share it with a safe person if you feel like you can. If you don't, it'll be your journey. And that'll be something that your kids find one day if you leave it in a dusty old box. Um, so yes, yeah, especially if they have a relationship to investigator. But I also really wanted and promised to give you your, the wonderful test link. And that is at Enneagram 
trytypetest.com. And it is going to take you a good 15 to 30 minutes, but it was quite accurate. And actually, I really was surprised to see that she had me marked as a 739. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, so I'll have to look at that again. Sometimes you're not going to feel like you really answered it right, or that you're just actually, yeah, she had it right. And I need to own that part of myself more. But try to remember, you know, you can always be a little skeptical in the sense of like, okay, wait a second, are we just each all the types? Like, take it slower if you're not there yet. But if you're like, no, I'm ready to do my work in each of my centers. And I really want to see maybe where I'll stumble the easiest and where I'll pick up the easiest. This is important work because if you're getting stuck in your four victimhood all the time and in your nine sloth all the time and in your seven frenzy all the time, like I could be at my worst, then you're got, you've got some trouble on your hands. And whatever your tri-type looks like, you're going to have to own it, face it and work at it. And it's a lifelong process. And that's why there's such grace over it. So I hope that you really gain something from this in-depth analysis. Thanks for sharing my stories. It was a fun week to do this. So anyway, God bless you guys and have a great week. Bye-bye.